Thanks for tuning in. We hope this message encourages and challenges you today. Now here's Pastor Marco De Barros. Tonight I want it's 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 Wednesday night, so we get to uh, go a little bit deeper. Um, we get to go to Bible school for a little bit. Um, we get we get to go to Bible school, and and since Easter's coming up, I wanted to help you or help us have a deeper understanding of why Easter is so critical, why Easter is so vital. Um, and so I would encourage you to take notes tonight because, again, it's Bible school tonight. Uh, I don't have any jokes. I don't have any stories. Uh, it's Wednesday night. It's, uh, it's vegetable night. Um, <laughs> so so I, 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 hope, um, I hope you're ready. Uh, I want to talk to you about the Easter effect. Um, if you have your Bibles, and like I said, you're going to work tonight, so we didn't even put this, the verses up for you because we want you to work. Uh, you're going to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. It's going to be a long reading, but it's so good that I couldn't try to shrink it to one verse or two. You've got, you got to get the full thing here. So if you have your Bibles, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, or if you have your phone or your iPad or whatever you're going to use, it says this, right? Long reading. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you before. You welcome me then, and you still stand firm in it. I keep coming close to you guys because I can't see. Okay, so don't. Uh, I just feel like I just can't see anything over there. You guys are like, uh, I'm sorry, I'm invading your space here. I'm going to go right here. Uh, okay, verse 2. It, it is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course... You believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what has always been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as Scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of whom are still alive. Very important thing to remember there. We're going to go back to that. Though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me. And not without results, for I have worked harder than any other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message you have already believed. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles will all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all you have... All you have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for, a little, for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of, of the great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam... Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. New life. New life. New life. It's just the effect, yo. Uh, verse 23, but there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised at the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After, after that, the end will come when he will return the kingdom over to God the Father Having destroyed every ruler and authority and power, can you say amen? Well, thanks for coming. God bless you. That says everything right there. But, um, you know, again, 
Bible school tonight, you have to understand this, that before we had the Bible the way it is now, in the order that it is, these were all individual letters at one point, okay? And when you study the New Testament, you begin to understand that this is one of the first letters that we have. The church went back and put these letters in a certain order to make it easier for people to follow the gospel. So they put all four gospels in one area and then Acts and then the letters to the specific areas where they were preaching to make it easy for people to follow. Okay, here's how you become a Christian. It's through the gospel, right? Here's how the church was born through the Holy Spirit. And now here's how you live as the people of God, okay? But 1 Corinthians is one of the first letters that we have, right? It, it is actually dated uh, that Paul uh, first had this experience around five years after Jesus Christ had been raised and was pretty much transfigured and elevated into heaven, uh, and he sent the Holy Spirit. Why is this important? Because when you're studying the New Testament, you have to understand that you actually studying an historical document. Because a lot of times people read the Bible like it's in a galaxy far, far away. You lived a man named Paul and Jesus, and, and it sounds really good, and it gives you goosebumps. No, actually, when you're studying the New Testament, they study it first as an historical account. Is this thing real? Okay, and we have, again, I don't have time to go into it, but we have plenty of evidence to show you that what Paul is talking about was an actual historical account. Right. In other words, that the resurrection is not a figure of, a, of, of our imagination. We didn't come up with it. The church didn't come up with it. This was something that actually happened. Okay, and not in a, uh, sometimes people think it's in a spiritual way that Jesus raised. No, in a bodily form, Jesus was resurrected. Okay. He, and he tried to show it to them by appearing to them in different times. Why? To make a point that you're not just seeing things. Because sometimes when people die, there's a tendency to saying like, we want to see that person so bad. And we begin to imagine that we're seeing them. And so Paul was like saying, like, no, let me show you all the different times Jesus showed up to show you this was a real person in real time. Right? Not only that, he goes as far as saying, at one point, 500 people saw him all at once. Now, 500 people cannot have the same hallucinations. Okay, Not only that, but he, he goes as far as saying, and some of them are still alive. What he's trying to say is, go check with them. Okay, This is how historical this thing is. right? That here we are 2,000 years later talking about something that happened in history. You know, if someone says to you, Jesus was not real, they would have to say that history is not real. Which means we're not real. <laughs> Because we have historical accounts outside of the Bible to confirm this. Okay? We have Jewish historians. We're not, we're not believers saying there was a man that lived. His name was Jesus. He did perform miracles and, and he did cast out demons and, and he was crucified. But when it comes to the resurrection, some people choose not to believe that he rose again. But they don't deny that Jesus did those things that he did. Right? Roman historians confirm the same account. Right? The Romans had to do an investigation on the resurrection because there was a, such an uprising that they were like, what is going on with these people that are disturbing the Pax Romana? They restur- they're disturbing the very thing that we pride ourselves after. Okay? So we're talking about an historical account here that has great evidence in history. Now, when it comes to the whole, like, we believe by faith, yes, we believe by faith, but it's not a blind faith. Okay? It's not a blind faith as if we just decided by osmosis we're just going to believe something. Right. right? No, we believe in a faith that is rooted in historical accounts. Right. That Jesus was seen by many people, including the Apostle Paul, the man who wrote these words, who was persecuting the church. One of the greatest evidence of the resurrection of Jesus is Paul. Okay? Because Paul... His job, again, if you go trace Paul's job, which, by the way, he wrote most of the New Testament. This is one of the letters. He says, my job was to pretty much crush this new movement that was happening called the way. The way was Jesus, his followers, right? To him was, listen, Paul was one of those really, really prideful, very educated Pharisees, Okay, people who pride themselves after studying the law and being very knowledgeable when it comes to the law. And Paul was like, this is a cult. We need to squash it. Did you know when then the Christianity was started, it was considered to be a cult? So when people tell you that we're a cult, we're in good hands. <laughs> Have anybody told you we're a cult? Come on, be honest. 
<laughs> well, they considered the Jesus movement to be a cult. And Paul's job was to go around to persecute, to bring to justice these people who were spreading this message of Jesus. And one day on the road to a place called Damascus, Jesus appears to him. And Jesus says these words to Paul. He says, Paul, why do you persecute me? It's interesting that Jesus didn't say, why do you persecute them? He says, why do you persecute me? Which tells you a very important note. Jesus never separates himself from his church. Okay? He didn't say, why do you persecute them? He says, why do you persecute me? Right? So whenever people tell you, like, they don't need to go to church to follow Jesus, well, either they're right or Jesus is wrong. Because Jesus never separated himself from his people. So Paul says, I saw him. A man that was trying to destroy this movement became the greatest missionary in the history of Christianity. Right? The disciples who fled when Jesus was, was, was arrested, all of a sudden come out with this crazy boldness to preach the gospel. What happened? The resurrection happened. They saw something. Right? They changed their minds. They were not afraid to come out and preach the gospel. And if you trace history, all of them end up paying with their lives. Because of the gospel, including Peter, where Paul says he saw Peter. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter was the first one to preach the gospel after Jesus Christ went back to heaven. And on that day that Peter preached the gospel, the Bible says over 3,000 people, not counting women and children, came to the Lord. So when they tell you that God is not into big churches, well, they must not be reading the Bible. Because right from the start, the church had over 3,000 people. And so we're going for a thousand this year. I say, Lord, bless you. It's incredible to me that these people had the audacity to preach something, even though their lives were on the line. What makes you do that? The conviction that you've seen a resurrected Savior and that this world is not sufficient to hold you back. That's what Easter is all about. Right? Easter is this conviction that Christ was risen from the dead. And because he was risen from the dead, that has eternal implications in my life. That's the history of Christianity. And that is still is the focus of Christianity. Right? And so when, when, when you understand the effect of Easter, you'll understand a few things. First of all, it's important to know what Christianity is not. Like, I just, I just want to make some things clear tonight, that Christianity is not being religious. Anyone can be religious. The, the people that saw Jesus were extremely religious people. And Jesus said, you are so religious, but you miss the Spirit. So Christianity is not being religious. Now, it falls in the category of religion because that's what we do as humanity. We like to put things in category. But God never intended for Christianity to be a religion. Okay? That's the first thing we have to understand. The second thing you have to understand is Christianity is not about being a good person. Like Jesus had a young man come to him and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why don't you go sell everything, come follow me. And this man did not know what to do with himself. Why? Because he's like, I thought I kept all the commandments. Jesus like, it's not about keeping the commandments if your heart is not right with God. Okay. So, so we need to establish some things. Okay. It's not about being religious. It's not about being a good person. Right? It's not even about going to church. There's a difference between going to a building and being the church. Jesus came to establish a movement of people called the church. He calls, them, he calls the people his body, right? A body is an active thing, right? If your body's not active, you're dead, right? So Jesus never intended to start buildings, right? That's why a building hasn't been important to us. Like, it's great, it's awesome that we're going to get one, but, man, it shows you clearly that God is not into buildings to many places we've been, right? The goal of Christianity is to become more and more like him. That's why they were called Christians, little Christs, mini me. <laughs> okay, that's the point of Christianity. The next thing you have to understand is being a Christian is not about being baptized. Right? It's not about giving you 10%. Right? Let's make it clear. It's not even about serving in a ministry. 
Right? It's not about any of these things that sometimes we like to put categories into. Now, guess, get this though. Because we are Christians, we do all of the above. It's important to get that right. Because I'm a follower of Jesus, because I'm a follower of Jesus, it compels me to action. Right? And that action includes my tithe, my serving, my giving, my testimony, my life. Like, it's a lifestyle that God is looking for. That's what Easter is all about. Right? So being a Christian, let's make it clear tonight, it's about being saved by this grace of God. Right? That I don't earn it, I don't deserve it. It's a gift. Right? It's a gift. The Bible says you've been saved by grace through faith in this Jesus that rose again from the grave. Can you say amen? Right? That simply Christianity is that God loves me for me, but he loves me too much to leave me that way. And that's why he puts me in a body of believers so I can grow and become more and more like him and less and less like myself. That's Christianity in a nutshell. Because Jesus rose again, I'm also risen. Because Jesus rose again, now I have a new perspective. I have a new vision. I have a new goal. Why? If the tomb is empty, then my life cannot be empty anymore. Because Jesus comes to fill the void in my heart, in my soul, in my spirit. And Jesus begins now to take residence within me. And together, we have this journey ahead of us. Can you say amen? So in Christ, right? In Christ is the goal of Christianity. It's to be in Christ. Not around Christ. Right? He even said it to his disciples. He said, Listen, I have to go. Why? Because if I stay, you, I will never be in you. Like the spirit of Jesus that we, that we sang about tonight. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. That's the spirit of Jesus that comes. And now you are in Christ. It's a great mystery to be in Christ. Like to be one with him. And that's what he prayed. He said, Father, I pray that they will become one as we are one. Right? And so the, the person of Jesus affects us in three ways. It affects us, first of all, in, his, in the way he lived. The way Jesus lived was meant to be an example to those who want to follow him. Notice he said, come follow me. Right? He never said, come follow some instructions. Come follow some teachings. No, he says, come follow me. I'm the instruction. I'm the teaching. That's why he goes on to say, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Who was he speaking to? To a very religious people who at that point, for them, the Torah, the Bible, the Old Testament was the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is like, I'm everything that you're looking for in the flesh. In other words, I am the full embodiment of all those instructions that you're looking for. Wow. Right? As opposed to worrying about 650 laws, look at me. My God. Look how I live. Yeah. Look at how I interact. Look at how I talk and, and how I behave. Like, that's your focus. Christianity is not about behavior modification. Because you can have all the behavior modification in the world, but if your heart is not in the right place, you're just being religious. Are you following tonight? Right? The effect of Easter is way deeper than just, I'm a good person and I go to a building on a Sunday. If you take away Easter, if you take away resurrection, then there's no Christianity. All you have left is another man-made attempt to please God. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, like Paul said, then our faith is useless. Why? Because it's just us trying somehow to make sense of life, which a lot of people, that's the point of Christianity, isn't it? It's to just try to be a good person, don't do anything wrong, and hopefully one day we'll go to heaven. And no wonder we're bored in church. There's no revelation there. There's no excitement there. There's no reason to get up in the morning there if all there is is I'm just trying very hard not to do anything wrong. And I hope one day God will forgive me. That's just religion. That's boring. Well, if, if that was it, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, hey, what's the point? Let's go to IHOP on Sunday mornings. At least we'll be bored, but we, you know, full. Right? So it's, it's, it's deeper than this. So first of all, we are in Christ. First of all, we are in his life. When a person says, when Jesus says, come follow me, he literally says, like, I want you to come after me. 
Right? If you go study the New Testament, the disciples left every day and began to walk with him. It was actually a hands-on internship. Right? This was not like online courses. Like some people have reduced Christianity to online Facebook posts. Right? This was not an online thing. This was like in the flesh, every moment, wherever they went, Jesus was teaching. And whatever he was teaching, they was getting on them. And whatever was getting on them, they were supposed to pass it on. That, that's Christianity. That's the whole thing. That's the purpose. Right? Jesus would teach on the spot like he didn't have classes like this. Only on Sunday he would show up in the synagogue, open the scriptures, and begin to teach. But he was teaching on a Monday. He would look at a garden and say, you see that garden right there? You are the branches like that, and I am the vine. Like, that's how Jesus thought. And he would go to the beach and say, well, you see them fishing over there? That's what I want you to do. But I want you to do that with people. I want you to go out and cast out that and get more people to come in. See, you see that, 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 that farmer over there? See, see how he's planting seeds? That's what I want you to do. I want you to take the seeds that I'm giving you and plant it around and make more people like us. That's the point of Christianity. It's to be like Christ. So in his life, he was being an example of how we meant to live. Right? So a lot of times people are like, what is God's will for me? Well, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. You know, I teach young adults. When they say, what is God's will for me? All they're thinking about is, who am I going to marry? That's all they think about. (laughs) Somehow in our doctrine class, we always end up talking about relationships. Somehow, it always goes back to that, you know. But I'm like, life is much bigger than that. Because sometimes it's in the following God, all of a sudden, you see, hello, that's how God works. It's like, follow me. Right? When is the right time? I'll put Eve in the way. That's what he told Adam. Right? When he saw Adam was like, man, <laughs> these animals though, God, like. I was like, all right. Enough animal education. Let's move on to other things. You know. But that's the key. The key is in his life we live. Right? We used to have these bracelets. I wanna, I'm going to get those bracelets back. I want to bring them back to our campus. WWJD. Do you remember that? Early 90s? I got saved in the early 90s. Everybody had a WWJD bracelet. Like, I was watching basketball, and basketball players were wearing them. Watching Sports Center, Sports Center anchors were wearing them. Like, it was everywhere, WWJD. What's interesting is, I think most people miss the point. Because that's what religion do. We love to make, we love to make, listen, we love idols. Right? We love things. Like, show me tangible. Give me something that I can see every day. But the point wasn't that. The point was to remind you how to live. Like, what would Jesus do? We should add a couple of more letters to it. Like, WWDID. Like, what would Jesus do? I do. Like, that, that was the point. Because a lot of people were wearing the bracelets but missed the point. To live like Jesus is the point of Christianity. Can you say amen? So, we are in Christ in his life. And number two, we are in Christ in his death. It is his death that brings us redemption. What is the word redemption? It's the word purchase. It is the death of Christ that purchased back our salvation. Something was missing between us and God. And God says that the sin requires sacrifice. Christ becomes the perfect sacrifice for our sins. That's why we don't earn it. That's why we don't deserve it. We can only accept it. So any gospel that puts anything on top of the cross is a false gospel. Any gospel that says, I'm a good person, or I was baptized, I did this, I did that, that's your own merits. But the problem with your merits is the Bible says it's nothing but filthy rags. Like, it doesn't add up to the perfect, sinless sacrifice that Christ gave. And so to come to Christ, I have to come empty-handed. I don't have a religious pedigree. I don't have a resume when it comes to Christ. This is why tonight I believe God says, you are a human being. Why? Because in our society, it's all about what you do. If you notice, we don't ask people, who are you? We say, what do you do? Why? Because we live in a merit society where you have to earn certain things. But in God's economy, it's different. You don't earn anything. You can only accept what he's given on your behalf. In his death, we find redemption. In his death, we find forgiveness. Right? In his death, we find our identity. Why? Because God says, that's how much I love you. Right? In this world, your identity is found a lot of times in how much money you make, what, what neighborhood you are. Like, some people will judge you based on where you live. Right? But the problem is all those things to God 
are secondary to who you are as a person first. Right? So his death is our redemption. And then his resurrection is our victory. So we have example in his life. We have redemption in his death. And then when it comes to Easter, the resurrection, that's the victory. Victory over death, victory over sin, and victory over the enemy. Right? In other words, the follower of Christ was meant to live in victory. Now, we all have battles, right? And we all have shortcomings, yes. But we're not defined by those things. We are defined by the victory that we have in Christ. Right? The key, though, like Paul said tonight, is that this resurrected power needs to be activated in your life. Right? Because a lot of times, you know, if you've been in church long enough, you've heard Jesus died for my sins. You've heard Jesus live. And you've heard Jesus was rose again. But those things will be useless, he says, if you don't activate them in your life to say, no, he's my example. He's my redemption. And he's my victory. Right? If I don't claim those things in Christ, all they are is just nice, cute, religious things. And that's why you, you sometimes there's, there's this weird dichotomy in church where you're like, how come people in church are not living like Jesus? Well, it's simple. It's very simple. It's the fact that they, some people go to church, but they don't live the church life. Why? Because they haven't activated the presence of God in their lives. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and feel the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what my heart longs for. Like, let us become more aware of your presence. Holy Spirit, in other words, what are you doing in my life? That's how you can recognize a person that is religious and a person that's following Jesus is what is God up to in your life? If you can't answer that question, maybe you haven't spent time with the Lord in a while or you just never have an encounter with the Lord to say the Lord is active in me right now. Because it's fascinating to me that as I'm speaking, the Lord is downloading. It blows my mind how he does that, how personal, how unique the Lord is. That that even sometimes I'll be preaching and people come up and say, man, you were speaking right to me. How did you know? I tell you a secret. I stopped following some people that go to church on Facebook because they didn't want, I don't want them to think like, oh, you are looking at my Facebook. That's why you're preaching about that. I'm just being honest with you. No, there's an incredible thing that the Holy Spirit does. He's personal. Because sometimes the message won't even be about what I thought you were talking about. Like tonight, I'm talking about the resurrection, but someone will come up to me and be like, when you said hell, oh, that got me. I'm like, I never said hell tonight. I just did, though. Uh, but it's incredible to me how, how personal, how unique, how intimate the Holy Spirit is. I tell you, you are as close to God as you want to be. It all depends on your hunger for him. How close you want to follow. Right? This is, again, this is why you cannot put, you know, little steps to the whole Christianity thing. Get baptized. Get Christian. Get this. Get that. Get that. Get that. Because a, a lot of people do all that stuff and they're still empty. Right? Your heart has to be his. And there's got to be a hunger to want to know him. Right? Which leads me to my next point. See, when you understand who you are in Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection, then you'll understand your position in Christ. Right? You have a legal position in Christ. Now, listen. Bible school, right? If you get in trouble, you need legal representation. Right? If you ever been in trouble, you know, I need a lawyer. Right? When you get arrested, not when... You won't get arrested, you know. <laughs> Just go with me here. Right? When someone gets arrested, first thing they tell them is, right, they tell them their rights. Right? And one of the rights is you have a right to a lawyer. Well, the Bible says he is your lawyer. He is your legal representation. You have to know your position in Christ. Right? You're in trouble, you call on Jesus. You're hurting, you call on Jesus. You're struggling, you call on Jesus. You, you're blessed, you thank Jesus, right? Because he's your legal representation. And let me tell you what this means, to be in Christ, right? This is your position as a believer in Christ, okay? Don't be religious. This is your rights. 
Right? This is your rights. But look what the scripture says in, in, about being in Christ. Look. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Okay? These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. This is what it means to be in Christ. You have now divine nature. Right? If you keep reading, Paul will tell you what, Peter will tell you what those divine natures are. This is the same guy that denied Christ. And now he preaches Christ. And why? Because now Christ is in him. And he's empowered now by the divine nature. This is why you have to be careful with your confessions. Right? Because a person who follows Christ has certain confessions. Why? Why? Because he knows, like, I position myself with Christ. My words have power. My thoughts have power. My actions have power. Right? When you have divine nature in you, you don't live like you used to. It's not that you don't want, it's not that you, you, you can't, it's that you don't want to. There's a difference. Religion says, I can't. Relationship says, I don't want to. Are you, are you following? This is your right in Christ. The enemy will love for you not to know your rights. Right? Our society right now, you better know your rights. Everything that's going on in our world, you got to know your rights. Especially spiritually speaking, you better know your rights or the enemy will just keep throwing you back and forth wherever he wants to. That's why in some people's life, he comes and wreaks havoc when he wants to. Why? Because they don't know their rights. Come on, you following? This is who you are. And he goes on to say, look, listen, you are in Christ, which makes you a new person, a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, look. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. A new life. Good name for a church. A new life. You are in Christ. You are a new creation. And then he puts you in his kingdom of light. Look at this. Scripture goes on to say, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased, remember, redemption, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This is who you are. This is your legal right in Christ. This is where the warfare takes place. Will you accept by faith who Christ has made you to be? Or will you let your old nature continue to rule you? This is the warfare we're in every day. This is why our confession needs to align itself with what God says about us. Not what your flesh says about you. Because your flesh would love to remind you about what you did last summer. I know what you did last summer. You know, the Bible says the, the, the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. In other words, you want to know how to discern the voice of God from the enemy? Is it accusing you or is it encouraging you? See, the Lord will expose you to heal you. The enemy will expose you to kill you. Right? Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundant. The enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy. And people sometimes misinterpret that scripture thinking like kill, still, and destroy means like crazy war. No, it talks about everyday life. When you're not living in victory, you're living in defeat. When you're not claiming the will of God for you every day, you're accepting a lesser will. When you say things like, I'm just a sinner, you're accepting the less you than God created you to be. It's interesting that Paul, the man who wrote these words started every single one of his letters by saying to the saints in whatever city he was writing. What's interesting is when you read Paul's letters, which, by the way, everybody has this romantic idea of church. I want to find the perfect church. I want to find a church where, where I just feel so good there. Everybody loves me. I love them. There's no judging. There's no anything. They don't ask me to tithe. They don't ask me to serve. I just want the perfect church so I can go and chill. I just want good vibes, positive vibes, whatever that means. 
In other words, I want a Jamaican church. I just want, I want, I want them to sing Bob Marley for worship, you know, because I have no idea what this good vibe thing is all about. But here's my point. My point is this. Every church that you read in the New Testament had problems. They had issues. They were imperfect churches. Why? Because we're imperfect people. But Paul was always talking about the person they meant to be, not the person that they were. That's when you know you're in Christ. You don't talk about who you used to be. You talk about who you're supposed to be. Right? This is why we don't get tired of saying, I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way. That's the walk. That's the journey. That's Christianity. It's to continue to bridge the gap between who I am and who I'm meant to be. Right? And so in order for that to happen, I have to not just position myself legally, but I have to experience it in everyday life. If I'm not experiencing the, 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 the example, the, the redemption, and the victory, then I'm settling for something less. Are you following? So what is the, the, the experience? The experience is that, first of all, the believer has victory over sin. You will never find a true believer in Christ justifying their sins. You know why they don't justify their sins? Because Jesus is your justification. You will never find a believer making excuses for their sin. Why? They're too busy making moves to get out of sin. No amens there. This is what I mean to have victory in Christ. Right? There's victory over sin. You don't flirt with sin. Why would you when Jesus has given you a better option. Right? Why would you stay when you can go? Right? Some things you don't have to pray about. You just have to go. Right? I always get nervous. People that pray, they like, I pray about everything, which is fine. I should, you should pray about everything. But sometimes you just need to go. <laughs> Especially the ones that are like, God told me. God told me, God told me, God told me, God told me. But it's like, God told you so many things, but you're still in the same spot. Hey, how many times God going to tell you? Which, by the way, let's, let me mess you up for a second. The people that always say God told me, it's a lack of faith. Because God didn't say, I will tell you. He says, live by faith. I will guide you. I will lead you. God, listen, you know how many times I can tangibly tell you God told me? It's a few times. It's a very few times. The rest is, I just go by faith. Prompted by the Holy Spirit, led by the will of God. Like, it's not just, behold. Right? Don't let those freaky, weird religious people lie to you. God told me you should marry. Well, get away from me, creeper. That's why I tell the young girl, like, don't be letting those weird dudes come into church. God told me. He's like, but tell them, God didn't tell me yet, though. You either lying or you got to wait for confirmation. Hello, somebody. The experience is victory, but it's also is that you are rooted in his love. The word rooted is a powerful word. It means that you cannot be moved. You cannot be moved. In other words, you're not easily shaken. You, you, you've seen my, 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 my uh, illustration lately. It's pillars versus noodles. You know, when you're rooted in Christ's love, you're rooted, man. And Jesus said, you're like, a, you're like a house built on a rock. Like, storms will come. Things will come, but you're, like, still there. A noodle is easily. <laughs> now, when you're rooted, you know who you are. And you know whose you are. It's important to know whose you are. Because you know he's in control. Because he said in this world you will have trouble. Like he was honest. But he said, I've overcome. And so will you. If you stay rooted and grounded in me. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Nor stay in the way of sinners. But he's rooted on the word. Like in due time he will bear fruit. Like if people can only understand. Stay rooted and grounded and watch God produce. The problem is people are not rooted. Church hopping, <laughs> playing hopscotch with the Holy Spirit, you know. But then they want to see the will of God. You can't see the will of God if you're not rooted. Right. Right. 
no one plants a noodle tree. <laughs> a word of warning. We are on the threshold of great things. But it comes with some shaking. The Lord will shake you. The enemy will shake you. The key is, if I'm rooted, I want to be shaken by the right Lord. I'm telling you, it's a prophetic word. Not all the Israelites made into the promised land. Because they weren't rooted. So make sure you're rooted. It's a pruning season. Pruning is not meant to kill you. It's meant to make you bear more fruit. But some people are getting pruned. What do they do? They run away. When you run away, you don't see the full results. In three years, some people should be right now with us in this moment, celebrating these moments, but they were never rooted, easily persuaded by any lies in the seats of the enemy, and they're quickly gone. You got to be rooted in God's love. The only way you're going to be rooted in God's love is by spending time with him like we did just now in worship, in prayer, and saying, God, take full hold of me. I don't want to be all over the place. I want to have solid foundation in you that come hell or high water, I'm yours. Which leads to the third thing. It's, there's a submission to his will that takes place. Fully submitted into God's will. Fully submitted means that, that my life is not mine anymore. Paul goes on to say, I've been crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's no longer I will live, but Christ that lives in me. When you're crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ, then your submission is to his will. It's not optional. Faith is not wishful thinking. It's being fully submitted and trusting that God is going to bless me and take care of me and empower me and strengthen me and encourage me and lead me down the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Thy staff and thy rod lead me. He said staff and rod. That's what a good shepherd does. The staff leads. The rod sometimes is the two by four. Notice he's call, he calls his sheep. Not a compliment. If you know sheep, that's not a compliment. Sheep will make dumb moves without the rod and the staff. Go look it up for yourself. Sheep will make really dumb things. A good shepherd is always with both. Why? Because, hey, come this way. But hey, you need some guidance. What? read something very interesting about the relationship between sheep and shepherd is that the sheep knows every single shepherd. Blew my mind. Like, you, if you see a group of sheep, you just see sheep. Well, the shepherd sees individuals. It blew my mind that they said the shepherd has such a relationship with the sheep that the sheep will be ten shepherds over here, but the sheep will know which one is the shepherd. Who said that? Jesus said that. The sheep will know my voice. How? By intimacy. You know what the shepherd does? He spends time with each and every sheep. Blew my mind. And he said, the shepherd know which sheep are more prone to wonder. Because they know him very well. And you know what the shepherd does to the sheep that they know is more prone to? (laughs) You know, that sheep, he's just like, yo, we're going this way. Just following the good vibes, man. Just... So fascinating. The research shows that, that because he knows the ones that are prone to wonder, you know what he does? He grabs those, puts them around his neck. And one of the things that happens is, as he does this every day, he puts the sheep around the neck, the sheep gets used to the shepherd's scent. And that's how intimacy is grown. And then he says... If that doesn't work and the sheep is still, the shepherd will sometimes, get this, the shepherd will sometimes break the sheep's leg on purpose. 
And you're like, that's so messed up, right? Well, the shepherd will, will break the sheep's leg on purpose, put some around his neck to heal. In the process of healing, the sheep now gets so used and adjust to the shepherd, he never wants to leave the shepherd's side. God will break it to heal you in the right way so you never leave his side. So love does hurt. But it hurts good. Right? It's like going to the gym. There's that good sore. Right? There's nothing like that good sore from the gym. You're like, Ugh. I need one of those right about now. I haven't been. I haven't been. It's going to hurt. <laughs> Are you getting this? Is this good? But I got to go. So, so let me just give you some practical things here about Easter and the effect of Easter. Here's the reality of the Christian. The Christian can leave. Listen, this, is, this, this might mess you up, but you can live the reality of the resurrection on a day-to-day basis. The problem with this is we think the reality of the resurrection means I have to feel something. You don't have to feel something to live the reality of it. If something is real, it's real, not because you feel it. Your feelings are fleeting. Too many people equate faith with feelings. They're not the same thing. C.S. Lewis said, incredible scholar, he said, if the feelings are there, you write them, but if they're not, you dismiss them. Why? Because you live by faith, not by feelings. The Lord has given us some practical things every day to practice in our lives so we can have this reality of Easter. The Word of God. Did you notice when the enemy came to tempt Jesus, Jesus didn't say, I feel like... I should do this? No, Jesus always answered the enemy with, it is written. Why? Because something is written is already established. Feelings are never established because they could be here today and gone tomorrow. But he said, my word remains forever. Learn to root your life in the word of God, not in how you feel. Yes, God. The name of Jesus is the password. That's the key. He said, whatever you ask in my name, it shall be done. They're like, man, I prayed some things and it didn't happen. Trust me, whatever you ask in Jesus' name, in due time it shall be done if you are fully submitted to his will. We've been praying for a building for three years, right? Is he faithful? Actually, more than we thought that he can do. The name of Jesus is the key. Sometimes, listen to me, church. You don't have to wait till Wednesday night or Sunday night or Sunday morning. To lay hands on yourself and call on the name of Jesus to come. Actually, you haven't lived until you lay hands on yourself. You ever lay hands on yourself? It's the greatest thing on the face of the earth. You ever get yourself saved? You ever like preach to yourself and deliver your own self? Like you ever done such a great job you took an offering for yourself? You haven't lived. I'm telling you, there's nothing better than your own worship service. Like, you should see me in my car, man. I, I'm better than a homegirl from Hillsong. Like, I'm telling you. In my car, I'm, I'm leading worship. Like, I'm, the, I'm in the throne. Like, I'm the best worship leader in my car. There's nothing like leading yourself to the throne of grace. You have access. That's the name of Jesus. Anytime you need to go to the presence of God, you can Religion says, I got to wait till Wednesday night. I got to wait till Sunday morning. No, no. No, no. Relationship says, Jesus, right now, I need you in my life. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Active. Working. The Lord is working in you right now. The Lord is working in us right now. Invite the Holy Spirit to come into your life on the regular basis. To live the resurrected power that he's allowed you to have. To have the right confessions, you got to spend time with them. And the last thing is, you got to put on your armor. And I put Ephesians 6 there. You got to go home and look this up. That every day you're in a war. Whether you want it or not. You're like, I didn't sign up for a war. Too late. <laughs> you're a human being. You're in a war. And, and, and the more you activate your faith, the more you become aware of the war. 
the war is for the well-being of your soul. That's the war you win every day. This is why the Lord says, you are a human being. Seek me. Find me. Get close to me. Let's walk together. You're not a human doing. The enemy is so clever at making life about doing. But here's the problem with doing without being. You'll get it all wrong. Because who you are determines what you do. It's who you are first. You know, one of the most fascinating scriptures to me in the entire Bible is the fact that before Jesus did a miracle, before he started his ministry, you know what God the Father said to him? You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. What was he doing? He was establishing his identity. You're not my son because you do miracles. You're not my son because you're going to preach. You are my son because of who you are in me. And because of that, then you will do the things you have to do. You are not an accountant. You are a child of God that happens to be an accountant. You are a child of God that happens to be a stay-at-home mom. You are a child of God that happens to work in a restaurant. If you have that right perspective, no matter where you are, the kingdom of God is with you. And you bring it with you. That's the church. That's why God doesn't want us to have service every day. No, he wants us to go and be service. When we get our building, I want to get a sign, a big sign, that when we're leaving, it's going to say, now you're about to enter the mission field. That's the goal. It's not to leave it there. It's to take it. Sunday to me is just locker room talk. The real good locker room talk. Not, you know, <laughs> not, not Trump talk. <laughs> I, I, I got to be careful what I say. I mean, like a game, you know what I mean? Like we're a team. We got, we get in our game plan talk, locker room. Make that clear for podcasts. Game, locker room. We're the Patriots in the spirit. And all we do is win, no matter what. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information on New Life and all of our campuses, log on to www.atnewlife.org.